And I love it because I was going to read that scripture today. So I was like, yes. So it goes right along. Um, so, so much is happening. And so when Sean asked me to share today, um, I've had different things stirring in my heart. But one of the things, um, first of all, I want to give a little bit of a, a recap for um, any visitors that are here um, we had several weeks ago, we, we had a, a real visitation of the spirit where we ended up having a, a, a seven, um, Daniel had mentioned it, a seven-hour service where repentance people just came up one after the other. I mean, it was all afternoon. We literally left here at 5.30. Keeping, we kept thinking it was going to end, and people kept getting in line and coming up and publicly repenting of sin, just whatever the Holy Spirit had placed on them, and it was significant. I mean, it was this was a move of the Spirit, and so Sean was, he, he shared about the stewardship of that, and so I, I want to share because God is, there is a visitation that is happening, and we, um, the context that I want to share this in is God is speaking to us of how to respond of how to, um, Sean was saying, repentance demands action, a visitation demands a response and what that looks like. And I don't know if you guys know it, but the our, our church was birthed out of, we, we were children of revival, and we used to lead um, revival services for children all over New England back during the renewal. And I don't know historically if you guys remember that, but in the 90s, there was an outpouring um, all over the world, Brownsville, Pensacola, um, uh, Toronto, Blessing, uh, England, Holy Bron um, Trinity, Brompton. So there was this outpouring of the Spirit that came. It came with moves of, of different churches, had different expressions of the Holy Spirit during that time. And one of the things we had had, um, Sean and I had had several events of, of renewal and revival throughout our life and throughout our ministry. And before that, just prior to that outpouring globally, we'd had an outpouring in our young adults group. Um, that's where Sean and I met and got married. Um, and when it, when it hit the young adults group, um, it was a visitation of the Lord, and there was a, an explosive love, an explosive unity between a bunch of young people. But we were so excited. It's like the Holy Spirit shows up. There's this presence of the Lord. There's nearness. And I understand that we all carry the presence of the Lord inside of us, but there are times and seasons that the, there's a, almost a, as if a portal from heaven opens, and there's a visitation and something that the, the presence of the Lord is much stronger. It's he visits, he comes near to us in a way that's very significant. And when that happened, we were crazy. That's the only way I can describe it. We we were young, we did crazy stuff, we were excited, we it was just crazy. We just behaved in this very ecstatic, joyful craziness. Um to the point that, that the church became very skeptical of us in some ways. <laughs> they were excited about the love, but there was, you know, they looked on us like, you know, what's going on with you guys? And, um, and then the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden, a nearness comes into the church. And what happens? The exact same thing. All the adults start acting crazy. And they were beside themselves because the, the presence of the Lord had come. 
And, and then we began to see this sort of happen around the world. And in different places, there were more significant cultural um, influences from the revival. But this particular renewal had a lot to do within the church. But one of the things that I kept noticing, it was a pattern that I saw, was that the Holy Spirit would show up and everybody got excited and didn't know what to do with it. It was like God's here. And towards the end of, of the renewal, when it was like there was a dissipation of the Spirit, that was the question that people were asking is, is what is this for? And I remember being in a pastor's meeting in Vermont and they were like, let's do another meeting, you know. Um, we're going to go and get crazy and get whacked. And, and um, these pastors said, so what? Like, for what? Who cares? Like, I don't want to go to another meeting and feel the presence of God. For what purpose? Like, we're just coming together and having a fun time. Like, who cares? And, um, and so we noticed this pattern. And so when we launched out, U-Storm had started just at the end of the renewal season. So we were in 2000. The renewal began to dissipate in New England around 96. And so by the time we got to 2000, we were launching a youth movement in New England um, on fire. We called the Servants of the Revolution. We were having a revolution for Jesus. It was super powerful, super touched by the supernatural. Um, a lot of amazing, amazing things. And the prayer from that beginning was, God, make us a container so that your next move, that we will know how to, to direct the spirit and impact the nations. So we, we prayed and we asked God, we said, God, we want to be able to steward your presence well. We don't want it just to come and get blessed, but we want it to come and transform lives and us to be stewards and mature in the faith that we can wield the spirit in a way that we can we can follow him in a way that's very mature and we can see power and demonstration in the earth. That was the cry of U-Storm's heart. U-Storm is the movement that started this church. When we started the church, all of our leaders were 25 and under besides Diane and Sean and myself. It was a youth church, <laughs> if you can imagine that. Um, and that was what we were crying out for. We were crying out for mothers and fathers to come, and we were crying out that God would transform us into a container for revival. And so, whew, right? So this is exciting because when we tell you we're ecstatic about seeing the winds of the Spirit begin to stir and blow, and we've been saying this for many, many months now, that God is doing something and so today is Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, and that's what I'm going to start with because very much like what we're experiencing today, at this time in history, Jesus was getting ready to do something incredibly amazing. He was in the house. He was beginning to speak to his disciples about an event that was getting ready to happen that was going to be amazing. It was going to be world transformational. It's the pivotal event for the entire world. And so that's why I, I, I feel it's, it's very interesting because it's very similar to what we're experiencing today. Um, and so when I started to study this, I started with the triumphal entry, and it says, and this is Luke 19, 28, and it says, and after he said these things, he was going on ahead, ascending to Jerusalem. So he's beginning the triumphal entry. Well, when I read that, I thought, 
because I'd been studying and stuff, and then all of a sudden I saw that, and I thought, Lord, what else did you say before this? And so when you go to Luke 19, the parable right before this that he spoke was the parable of the talents. And so if we, we go to verse 11, and it says, while they were listening to these things, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem, and they su supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. And so there was this great expectation that was upon them, very much like we have today. There was a great expectation. They were, they were stirred. The disciples were stirred because they had been out with Jesus, and he was super BA. He had been casting out devils, healing the sick, converting sinners, and they had been a part of that the whole time. So they're like, whoa, the kingdom of heaven is here. God's getting ready to do something amazing. And so they were jacked up. They were excited. There was expectation on them, but they were thinking that the kingdom was coming at that moment. And so Jesus begins, he begins to give them instruction. And the instruction, I want you to notice as we're reading, there is this parallel that he begins to share, and it's, he's sharing about the, the um, symbiotic relationship between the natural and the supernatural. And we need to hear this today because there is a, there, there is a combining, there's a merging between the natural and the supernatural. And we always see revival as like this, that God comes, but then what? And that was why the last renewal, we didn't have an established foundation to bring the supernatural into the natural to see it affecting the earth. And so we need to see what Jesus is saying here. And when he shares the parable of the talents, he gives um, each one a talent. And he tells them to go and, and, and sow it while he's gone because he's going away. So he's kind of this foreshadowing of Jesus going away. And then when he gets to the last guy, um, after he comes back, uh, each one had, had sown their talent and had given more back to Jesus. And then this last guy, it says, And another came saying, Master, behold, your mina, which I kept and put away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you because you are an exacting man. You take up what you did not lay down, and you reap what you did not sow. He said to him, By your own words, I will judge you, you worthless slave. So I want to stop there really quick. Um, because when we're talking talents, a lot of times we, we actually had a sermon where we, we, we used money to reproduce, and, and it was a, an amazing thing. But when you're talking talent, I want you to think in the terms of identity. Because we have a master. We have a Lord in our lives. And we are ambassadors that carry his mark. And when he gives us our identity, he, there's, there is a, a response that is expected to reproduce out of that, to give ourselves away. And so there's talents within us, but it's a part of who we are, and it's a part of the renewed spirit that he's placed on us. It says when he comes, when, when salvation comes, old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. We walk into a new identity in, in a daughtership and in a sonship with Christ himself as our Lord. And the power, the, the power of that. So when he gave them talents, they were his to give. And we, we, they were walking under the blessing of this master. 
And he was asking them to steward those talents. And in the same way, God comes and gives us an identity in him, and he's saying, steward who I am. Steward my talent. There's a, there's a, a, a com combination here of the supernatural empowerment, and now he's saying, steward that. Give of yourselves. And that's why when this guy said, I hid myself away, think about ourselves, all of the, the baggage, the excuses we make for the baggage that we have of why we cannot come and give ourselves away fully. Why we walk in the lack of victory. God is calling us into this triumphal entry. It begins to speak of the triumph of Christ in the earth. And that triumph is more than just global governmental stuff. It's, it's the triumph of over sin in your life and the ability for you to walk free and demonstrate the power of the spirit. For the human soul to connect with the God of heaven and to know that their sins have been forgiven. <laughs> and so that's why when God comes, I want you to see here, there's two things. He's talking about stewardship and he's talking about the fear of the Lord. Because when he came back, he didn't understand the excuse. He said, by your own words, I will judge you worthless slave. Did you know that I am an exacting man, taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow? There is something that God gives you that's not based on your own abilities. He's not looking for you to produce something for him. He's looking for you to be transformed by him and to deliver heaven to the earth. Then why did you not put the money in the bank and have, having come, I would have had collected it with interest? And he said to the bystanders, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Master, he has ten minas already. I tell you that to everyone who has, who has shall, more shall be given. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. But these enemies of mine, this, this gets scary, guys. But these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. Okay, God is serious. He's not looking for your excuses. There is a, there is a response from visitation. There is an action with repentance that demands, heaven is demanding from us a response, a stewardship of what he's given. And there's not excuses to be had. And I want to give you an example because a lot of times we feel because um, we're a healing house. So we, use, we, we talk about journey. We talk about the journey with the Lord. But I want to explain something to you today that the journey with the Lord is not a, um, a minimal journey. It's not lessened by your brokenness. If that is happening, it's because you are not stewarding the power of God that's available to you. This house was built on broken people. This whole movement that we had, this youth movement, I can tell you we were a mess on so many levels. The one thing we had going for us was we loved Jesus with everything inside of us. We were we had a levels, not, not perfect, because we were really broken and had lots, lots of mess. There were levels of humility and willingness to respond to the Holy Spirit and to be teachable to who he is. Those are important. 
to be, to, to be humble with the body around you, to be teachable. And with those two qualities, you, you don't have to be, um, have all the right boxes. You don't have to be Mr. Educated to go and change the world. You just need to be humble before the Lord. And so when people come and they go, well, I'm not ready or, you know, I'm, I, I'm working through this so I can't, I can't serve this way today or whatever. We hear all kinds of excuses. I'm saying, do you realize, like, do you realize that, that our team, I, I wish you guys could have just sat in on one of our team meetings 20 years ago. <laughs> we talked over each other. We fought. We, we were, because we, we, I'm telling you guys, we were immature, we had like so much, but we were changing New England. And that's what I want you to see is that it wasn't based on our qualifications and our immaturity. Our immaturity was covered by the power of God. We would spend time in his presence, lots of time in his presence. And time in his presence all of a sudden brings transformation. And, and then it begins to make wrong things right. And those liabilities that we had with our brokenness, all of a sudden he was shoring up on the sides. And somehow, some way, he made it all work out until we're here today looking at this amazing body of Christ in front of us that is a, a work and a demonstration of the power of God. It has nothing to do with our qualifications. It has not. I'm telling you, I wish you could have seen us back in the day. What I am telling you is true. It's amazing that we still love each other. It's, it's really true. It's really, really true. But we had, we had a mission. We were on mission together. And there was this place of giving our talents everything we had. We didn't have a church, so we used our house. Whatever we didn't have, we looked around. What do we have to give? What, what can we use? What resource do we have to give to heaven? And that is how this ministry was birthed. Everything any of us had was given to the ministry, whatever way we could, what, whatever. We saw a mission of seeing God's kingdom come to New England, and whatever we could do to make that happen, we spent it. We spent ourselves, our resources, our time, our energy. And that is what, and, and when Jesus comes and asks you this, the king will always give back more than what you've given. always going to give back and he, he reaps where he hasn't sown and that's why I'm telling you that even in our lack he reaped what, what, what wasn't even in us there's so many amazing people say so many awesome things about, um, about the ministry we've heard lots of uh, affirmation people talk about us too but I'm going to focus on all the good things that people say um, but I'm telling you many of those things that they're saying is where God has, has reaped where he hasn't didn't so we they weren't amazing things in us that produced that it was the willingness to come and give our talent away and he the lord who reaped where he doesn't sow came in and breathed on that and did what he did he reaped himself a harvest because he intends on doing that and he's just asking you to come and give yourself away to give your talent away to him so that he can reproduce out of that isn't that good? Oh. So natural, supernatural. Hold on, I'm just making sure I'm covering everything. 
Um, so now let's go back to the triumphal entry, and it says, and after he had said these things, he was going on ahead, ascending to Jerusalem. And it came about that when he approached Bethany near the mount, he, he gives them this instruction to go get their colt. And this, this again, is a, is, a, is a natural answer to the supernatural. I'm going to read Zechariah 9 that they sing about today. There's a couple of things that we need to learn when we're, when we're combining the natural and the supernatural. As Westerners, we're a compartmentalized people, so it means that we don't multitask well. And that's why we have these revivals and we become very spirit-minded and we don't know how to attach the natural to that. There's sort of a liability being a Westerner paradigm-wise because we think of everything in compartments. And Jesus is wanting us to come and to combine those two compartments together to see his spirit move in the earth. And so there's a posture that you have to take here. And listen to this. This is the, when they went and got the donkey, this was the prophecy being fulfilled from way back in Zechariah, hundreds of years earlier. It says in Zechariah 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation. Woo, he's just and he's endowed with salvation. And so that was the prophecy that was coming to pass when they went and got their donkey, the colt, for Jesus to ride on. And there was a place of rejoicing in that. And so we find they grab this donkey and Jesus rides on it. And what begins to happen? They begin to rejoice greatly because salvation is coming. Salvation is coming. And it says, and as he was now approaching near the descent of the mountain, Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven, glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees and the multitude said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered and said, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. So now this is another, a second thing. So we're talking about the natural and the supernatural. What is the way to tap into the supernatural and bring it into the natural? Worship. Worship. And so when we're talking about stewardship, there's these positions of heart that we come into and we think they're so silly. What, I have to sing to the Lord? Yes, you have to sing to the Lord. You have to worship. We need to step out. We need to shake the shackles off our feet. When we are free, we sing. You know what? At the Women's Encounter, our last night, we dance. Do you know, I've had women come to their first encounter, and if they're not completely free, they won't dance. They do. They stand on the side and clap their hands. And then another encounter comes, what happens? They're a little freer. They kind of move their feet. <laughs> then the next encounter comes, and they're a little bit freer. And they're up <laughs> dancing before the Lord. I'm telling you, freedom, there's a place of freedom that we need to get out of ourselves and shake off our chains. And even if it's your prayer closet, you need to shake the chains off and begin to shout a rejoicing sound to the Lord and say, God, you are able, you are worthy, you are mighty and able to save. You are changing my life. You are changing my family. You are bringing miracles and signs and wonders. You're making wrong things right. Everything that the enemy meant for my defeat, you're turning to my good. You are doing mighty things in my midst. That is what you should be doing in your prayer closet. 
That is how you mix the natural and supernatural together. That is a way of stewarding your repentance, is coming into a place of worship of the king, recognizing with expectation that God is getting ready to move in your life on your behalf. He's getting ready to take your talents, and he's going to reap what he has not sown, what you have not sown. He's the master, and he's going to do mighty things in your life and heart. This is a posture that he's, that Jesus is speaking to us in this moment. He was speaking to his disciples in this moment, saying happenings are getting ready to happen. And I don't know about you, but I am telling you right now, in the world, happenings are getting ready to happen. It's happening. It's happening. And we need to believe. I, I find it interesting, too, when with the Pharisees, and they're like, get your people under control. Um, as they're worshiping the Lord, because they, they, they sense in their spirit something's getting ready to happen. And in the same way, I feel like, it's, it, it, again, it matches today, because I, I almost feel like in the earth, it's gotten to the point that if you have any hope that Jesus is getting ready to do something, you're a conspiracy theorist now. Right? <laughs> God's getting ready to move and do something mighty. Oh, that's just conspiracy theory. <laughs> um, I, when I saw this, I was like, oh, Lord, that's just like the Pharisees of today. Um, but the people, so let me read a little further here because this is important. And it says, and so and when he approached, he saw the city and he wept. And so this is right after they say, get your people under control. And Jesus, we find him weeping over the city because they did not see. And he says to them, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. And then he begins to speak, and this happened. What he's speaking here happened. It says, for the days shall come upon you when your enemies will throw up a bank before you and surround you and hem you in on every side and will level you to the ground and the ch your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. And I'm telling you, I, what made, made the repentance day so beautiful is because we had stood before people and we had cried to them. And literally wept and said, please, please listen to the Lord. Choose his way. Choose him. Because disobedience is hard. Sin is bitter. And there was a cost to not recognizing who God is. And when we walk in doubt, I, I'm so tired of hearing, I just don't trust God. I have a heart, I have trust issues. I, I have doubt issues. You have no salvation if that is you. Your whole salvation is based on faith in a living God that is able to save you. It's based on you recognizing that you are desperate for a Savior. You are desperate for a Savior. You have no way out. There is only hell awaiting you. There is no place you can go. There is nothing you can do. There is no power that you have to save yourself. It is only in the power of the Spirit. It is what Jesus did. The sacrifice on the cross has come to make a way for you, and you are desperate to make him Lord. 
And when you come to him, it's not because you're cool and he loves you so, so much. It's because you're desperate for a savior to save you so that you can, you can be loved by the father. He sent his son while you were yet sinners. He died for you. He loved you. But it's not because you're cool. He's demanding that you come under his lordship. Master, it says. The master came and gave talents. He was the master. And he's the one that came and gave the talents. And so we approach him as master. And I want to go now, if you'll flip, because um, I want to get into a little more practical. Natural and supernatural. And so what God is doing what repentance does for us is it breaks down the wall of division between us. And we establish that throughout the weeks. We've been establishing how sin doesn't just affect you. It affects the whole body. When we had people in the body in sin, it was affecting all of us. People were taking sides. People were talking. It was, it, it was painful to watch the bitterness of sin. And I have to say this. I don't know if he's in the house today, but... Um, this was a beautiful testament. I just want to testify of, of, of the beauty of the Lord in coming into alignment with him. But um, we met with Juan last week, and um, he was one of the ones that came up and repented. And he came, and he, he's kind of making his rounds, doing his apologies to different leaders and stuff. And he said, so Sean said, you know, how are you doing, you know? After all, it's like, what's, what, what's going on? And he said, after I repented, he said, there's only been blessing that's been coming my way. Everything's lining up. That is, that is what happens when we come in alignment with the Lord. Blessing is poured out. When we do it God's way, blessing is poured out. But, but it's his way. It's not we can't come up with our own ideas and call them his ways. And then we say, well, the Lord's not answering. Well, you know, he doesn't do this. Well, have you, have you been obedient to him in every way? Have you come on his terms and not on your own? Have you, have you come to him and saved face? You know, you kind of repent, but you're like, uh, forgive me, I sinned, Lord. You know, that's called saving face because you're too, it's too excruciating to say exactly how you sinned. Owning, owning everything that you've done. I've defiled your name. I've stepped into sexual purity. I've, I've done all the different things, being very specific to the Lord, coming before him, repenting, then confessing one to another. Have you done all of these things on his terms? So we go to Ephesians because what this does is it breaks down the wall of partition between us and allows us to come into the unity of the spirit. The power of the early church was the unity of being in one mind and one heart. This is said over and over. The whole book of Acts is about coming into one mind and one heart. God bringing a people, a body, a family together of one mind and one heart, bringing the mission of the cross to the earth. And so that is what he's speaking to, that natural unto the supernatural is this alignment in the spirit that it's speaking of this day coming. And it talks, we're talking about unity in the spirit. In Ephesians 4, it says, listen to this, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. Do you guys consider yourself a prisoner of the Lord? This is the apostle Paul speaking to a church, okay? This is to a church. It's not to unbelievers. And he says, I, Paul, Therefore, the prisoner of the Lord entreats you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. 
And so when I saw that, I thought, whoa, how many of us consider ourselves a prisoner? Right? He's our master. He's our king, but he's our master. And he's a good master. And he only has good in mind for you. But, but he is master in every way. And it's a serious thing to not walk in the fear of the Lord. To not recognize the day of your visitation. To not recognize that the Lord is near. And we need to align our hearts. We've been, for the last six months, we've been, and that was why when we had a lot of pastoral issues that came up, they were really hard for us as well because there was a demand and a spirit placed on us to walk in the purity and authority that God had given us for this house. That is a hard thing to do because your, your nature, you want to be, oh, it's okay, it's okay, and you're like, I'm sorry, but it's not okay. This is the standard. And what you're doing is not okay. And we have to stand for what's in here. And we were persecuted for that. But that's what I'm saying is, is we didn't care because there was a, there's, there's a weight of heaven. There is a nearness coming down that is saying, hold my standard. Hold my standard. Do not compromise. There is purity coming to the house, and with that comes power. But we have to align our hearts with him, and that's for all of us. And that's why when I was talking that day about to the um, worship team, I was saying we're all being challenged in the spirit to come into this place of maturity in the faith. And it says, and with humility and gentleness and with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, and then he goes into there's one body, there's one hope, one Lord, one faith. But to each one of us, grace was giving, given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Again, we're seeing God giving us a measure of Christ's gift. Christ came and gave you gifts. He gave you talents. He gave you an identity of strength and power in him. That you're, you're renewed in your mind. And then let's go to verse 11, and he said, and he gave some apostles and pro some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. So he gave you the leadership of the church, and listen to this, for the equipping of the saints, we always stop there, right? I always, we know that, for the equipping, yeah, for the equipping of the saints, he's equipping, they're equipping us, yeah. And so they get up here and they preach awesome things and equip us. But let, let's read further, and it says, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. And I looked that up, and that the work of service is deacon stuff. It's coming in, it's, it's serving, and I'll tell you, the interns have learned this so well by coming into a place of joint mission and unity of heart, working and laboring in the house of God, the family of God together on mission has transformed their lives. I could have them come up. They, could, they would all testify to you the transformation of their lives of working and laboring together. The early days of U-Storm, we had a team around us that labored and worked together. We lived together on a lot, a lot of them. That was when we did 24-7 internship. We had all the interns living with me. <laughs> um, lots of liabilities in that as well as wonderful things, but 
It transformed us. It changed us. It changed them, but it changed us. It transformed us in so many ways. But it was the the power of the mission together, which I was saying about how we, you know, we were so immature, we would fight and stuff all the time. But I'm saying there was a power and a love of the mission together that would bind us together. There was an equipping to do a great work together. And in that, there was a unity of heart. And that was one of the things we had, we had a consultant come in and, and was consulting the ministry. And one of the, our culture index was like at 98%. And he's like, people would pay huge money to have that kind of culture in their organizations. And that's because we were on a mission to change New England together with Jesus at the center. And that one thing was never lost. That one thing is what kept us together. It was that one thing that, that allowed God to come and breathe on all of our lack and liabilities and turn them into strengths that he could use for his glory. It was that one thing that allowed him to come and demonstrate himself and do a mighty work here in our midst that we're all partaking of today because of his greatness and not our own. Okay, I'm getting close to the end here. Um, so, um, Laura and Brian, <laughs> woohoo! You're going to have tons of people at your next service. Helps me. Because that is what I'm telling you, God, it's not, about, it's, it's not about helping with a program. It's releasing your potential of the talent of you being joined together with the body to do something great in New England together and in the world because it's going to go beyond New England. It's going to touch the nations. We're setting, we're setting a mark. We always say we have to build the showcase for God. We have to humble ourselves and allow God to change us so that others can see how God can move in a people. And that's what we're doing. Until, and then we're doing that. We're going to serve together on mission until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And that is what God's doing in us. And as we labor together, as we come in and join arms together and we serve together, he's turning us into a mature man. We're learning how to love each other. We're learning how to love difficult people. We're, he's rubbing the, 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 the um, selfishness off of us, right? Our life is about our own convenience and what's comfortable for us. But as we come together, all of a sudden we find that we're on a mission for him and none of that matters because we're here to serve him. We're giving our talents away. We're, we're not burying them and holding on to them very tightly, but we're giving them away. We're giving ourselves away. And when we give ourselves away, we find ourselves in him. That is what the Bible says. You lose your life and you find it. And so we're losing our lives. We're spending our talents for the king and sowing them in places into other people together. And there is a, a power that's going to be demonstrated in, in us together, not just your own life. I'm not here saying, oh, you're so great. You've got such a great calling. Your calling is a part of us. It's here to serve us so that we can serve him together. There's a beauty in us what, loving one another. And he's saying this over and over, forbearance, humility, love one another. There's a unity that he's calling us into, and it, and it belongs to the fullness of Christ. Do you know what that even means, the fullness of Christ? He's one of the Godhead. 
There is a maturity and a seasoning in him from the ancient of days that we can tap into. And it says, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine and trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheme. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. In love. And this is the last part. I just have to read it because it's so good. This is... Therefore, I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as Gentiles. We're not walking like the sinners, right? Also walk in the futility of their mind. We are coming out of the futility of our mind, bringing every thought captive to the master and the lordship of Christ. That is super important when you're on your journey in your brokenness that you bring every thought captive, every futile place in your mind that speaks against the knowledge of God and his character and who he is and what he has spoken over you. He's called you daughter. He's called you son. He's called you blessed. He speaks this over you. His favor is over you. He's saying, give your life to me and I will reap. I will reap what you have not planted. There is a power, and we need to begin to pull down those fleshly places of our heart and mind that keep us in a nominal Christianity, constantly coming to the shadow of the cross, knowing that it's powerful, but never walking into the light of glory beyond it. It is so vital that we come, and we come into this new place of freedom in Christ that is available to us. And it only comes through the maturity of your faith, through, through that place where you stand and you say, no, God's word is above my word. I'm telling you, when I came to New England, I was a, a, I was a broken orphan in my heart, fatherless, um, just, just a, a history in my life that had me broken. And nobody, when, when I tell my story, you would never know that. But you know what my secret was? Being hidden in him. I would get up every day, and I would pray in the spirit and sing, and I would dance before the Lord. And I would do that for as long as it took to feel the glory and the weight on him. And then I would go out into the world, and people would look at me and think I was all together. <laughs> Why, you're all together. What a powerful woman you are. But my secret was I was clothed in him. Even immaturity can look strong when you're clothed in him and hidden in his, under his wing. Are you hearing me today? This is important, guys. God's wanting us to be a people of victory. I understand. I, I'm a person of liabilities as well. I get it. I get it. But he's calling us to be a people of victory. Being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God. See, what I'm talking about is coming into the life of God. Because we're not excluded. We're a part of it because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. Guys, this is being spoken to the church because we have it in the church. People are limiting the power of God because you think your circumstances are bigger than his power. 
You think your liabilities are, are, are too much for his greatness. That he's not a God that can transform emotion. And he can. He can. He can teach you new pathways in your mind. He can, if, if you'll partner with him, though, because I'm telling you, natural and supernatural, natural and supernatural. It's not a magic pill. Bing, all of a sudden, oh, I'm emotionally stable. No, it's a wrestle. It's being hidden in God, taking the time to hide yourself in the Lord so that you're receiving wisdom from heaven. I had wisdom that wasn't my own. Because I was walking in the wisdom of heaven. I was spending the time in his presence, being transformed in his presence. Moses was transformed. Glory shone off of him, right? Why? Because he spent time with the Lord. And if we'll spend time with the Lord, if we'll make that a priority in our life, we will be a transformed people regardless of our liabilities. And they, having become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practices of every kind of impurity and greediness. And we've, we've seen this, guys. We've seen this happen in the church by walking in that place of the futility of the mind, not in the purity and power of God. And we have found ourselves being held captive by sin in the church. But, did, but you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your formal manner of life, you lay aside, listen to this, this, this is where I'm going to end. You lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the mind, in the spirit of your mind. You be, you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and in holiness and in truth. Come on. He's asking you to put this on. The likeness of God created in righteousness, purity, and truth. You have to renew your mind. You have to take that and pull it out of the supernatural. And that is by stewarding it. That is by taking time with the Lord. That is by getting in the word so that's what's in your mind, not, not your, your, your TV show that night. We have to, there, there's a demand of heaven. There is a response that, that God is asking us so that we don't end up missing the day of our visitation. There is a power that is with us, and God is saying, if you'll respond to me, you will see great things. He's doing great things in the earth. Regardless, guys, we get to choose to partner with that, okay? Because he's coming. Happenings are happening. Happenings are happening. I don't know what's happening, but I know something's happening. I know in my knower something is happening. There's so many weird things. You look out there, just weird events, weird conspiracy theories, weird, all kinds of stuff happening. There is that is really happening. And the Lord has been speaking to his people saying, get ready, get ready, get ready. I'm coming. Do you remember like two years ago when I talked about the chickens, my little chicks when I bought them? And, and our mentor kept saying, are you ready? I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm ready. He goes, no, you're not ready. You're not ready. And then I'd go away and I'd come back. And, are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready for the chicks. And he goes, no, you're not ready. Until finally I said, why am I not ready? You keep telling me I'm not ready. And he began to give me an entire protocol of what I had not done yet. 
And I remember sharing that with the body, saying, God is saying to us, are you ready? And we're all like, oh, yeah, we're ready. We've got it. And he's going, no, you're not ready. You're not ready. And then he begins to give us his word and his protocol of how to make us ready. And it's coming into submission to the king, to the king of glory. In humility, like he demonstrated, riding in, fulfilling prophecy on a cult, bringing salvation to his people. That was, that was, he was heralding that as he, as he just rode on a little donkey that looked like, this is no king. And he said, it's this way that I'll bring salvation, that I'm coming with my power and my glory. And those who hear will respond and say, holy, holy is he. Hosanna in the highest to the king of kings, the one who's worthy of all praise. And God wants you to posture your heart and begin to be a person of worship, that we worship him in every day of our lives. You worship him in your pain. You worship him in your, your joy. That you come under his lordship and his kingship, and you give him glory just because he's worthy, because he saved you. Salvation is his and his alone. And he's offering it to you today. He's offering you to walk into a new place of alignment. He's offering you to walk in a new place of his power and his glory and demonstration. Come on, guys. We're, we have to get out of this place of just coming to church. You know? And it's not that, that assembling for church together as the body is wrong. It's that we come because we're coming to an event. We're not coming to an event. We're coming to join our hearts together and be the church, like to be fashioned and formed together and become that prophetic voice, that declaration, that nation-changing, world-changing force. And so I just, I just want to respond. Like, God has spoken so clearly. The Spirit was moving this place today. What areas are holding you back in your life? What areas are causing you to just... Live as a nominal human being. And it's not your job. It's not, oh, I just, if, if only I wouldn't have my job. No, you can shine as a light. She talked about her time coming to New England first. She worked as a, a secretary at a law firm in Boston. But she, she shined the light and the glory of God. It's not, well, if I only had my financial struggles over. You can give any, any excuses you want. And it's time to end the excuses and take what you have and steward it. Use it. So as she was preaching, I just, I feel like I, I know the Spirit of the Lord is speaking clearly to your heart because He created you. He knows what's, what you're holding back from Him. He knows what fears you have. He knows your excuses. Let's lay down the excuses and let's invite the Lord into our heart today. Whatever it is. Fear of what people think. Fear of what will happen if you fail. Fear of if you step out and then you mess up. What all those things or that sin you feel like you can't let go of because you're like, no, I like it too much. Half of these things would disappear if we just gave our hearts to the Lord and just said, I want to fall in love with you, Jesus, more than anything this earth has to offer. The problem is the church seldom courts the Lord more than the world. And then they wonder, why do I love the world more? Why do I love this prostitute called the world more than my wife? 
who I'm supposed to be wed to because you've lost your first love. You've started playing around with the world so much, you start an affair. And you need to start spending more time with her, him, whatever. <laughs> that you desire the Lord more than anything else. And that's what she's talking about. It's like, stop trying to figure out how you're going to do things. Just fall in love with Jesus. Spend time with him. Let his word begin to frame your mindset, your priorities. Oh, come on, let's respond to him right now. Just without any further ado, just go at, after the Lord. You know, because he's spoken to your heart this morning. I'm confident of that. Doesn't matter if you're newly saved. It doesn't matter if you've been saved 40 years. What is 40 years of salvation as a human being compared to God and his ultimate perfect glory? It's nothing. It's like a wisp of air, a little vapor, a little breath. Come on, let's go. Respond to the Lord. Come on, talk to him. You and him. No special words required. You come in the name of Jesus and say, Father, I am here in the name of your Son. I want a relationship with you. And I thank you for Christ, that cross, that work that was done that allows me, a terrible sinner, imperfections, ridden with imperfections, to be able to come boldly before you because you don't see them. You see Christ, your Son, perfect, spotless Lamb that died on that cross for all my sins. And I come now before you boldly to say, I want a relationship with you, Lord. Fill my heart with a love for you. Show me why I should love you. You're not asking for some blind commitment. You're asking to come and see and look how wonderful the Lord is. Come on, just respond to him right now. Come on.